Good evening. It is good to be with you tonight. It's good to see all of you as well. The complexity of DNA. It's one of those essential components of cells in living creature in, all, in living organisms. And it's one of the many evidences showing us that there is a supreme someone. An intelligent designer who brought the universe and all that it is into existence. Tonight I want us to return to the series we have addressed some on Sunday evenings titled Finding God. Of course that someone is God, that someone is our creator and as we know and most of us know that DNA is simply an abbreviation for a long word. And it's a word that I have problem pronouncing. You know, deoxyribonucleacid. I've got to slow down and think real hard and make sure I say that word properly. It is an organic chemical of very complex molecular structure. Now, this structure contains, as we are told, four essential nitrogenous bases. And this intricate double helix carries genetic instructions. Instructions for the development, for the functioning, for the growth, and for the reproduction of all known organisms. And so through the different arrangements of these bases that form DNA, it forms a genetic code. A code for transmission. Now we all know a code communicates something. A code communicates information. A code communicates instruction. And DNA, in a sense, is a language. It is a language on the molecular level. Now, if you looked up the word language in your dictionary, you would find something like this. Well, languages are expressions or communications of thoughts and feelings by means of vocal sounds and combination of such sounds to which meaning is attributed. So I'm speaking to you and I'm using sound to communicate concepts and ideas and we understand what we're talking about. Because of the words that I'm using, you know those words and you know what they mean. But there's another definition for the idea of language, and that is it is special set of symbols or letters or numerals or rules, etc., used for the transmission of information. And that's where you come with the idea of how DNA, on this very intricate, complex level, in the makeup of cells, is a language. It is transmitting information. Our creator, our intelligent designer, communicates. You ever thought about that? Well, of course you have. Because in this audience, you know, we recognize who God is. We are believers of God. We are worshipers of God. And so, yes, the idea of God communicates, and he has communicated to us. 
But this evening, I want us to think about the idea of language and communication and how that in of itself is part of the journey of finding God. If you ask the question, where does language originate? Where does language originate? Now, if you opened your Bibles, the Bible clearly reveals to us a God, the God to be our creator, who has communicated in, you know, in a number of different ways to mankind throughout time. God said this, or God commanded that. And so, yes, God has revealed something. The Bible tells us that. And the fact that God has revealed himself in different ways. And in the lessons we have, uh, we have touched on already, certain concepts and ideas, we have really touched on the idea of how God has communicated to us through his creation. The creation is a means of God's communication to us, and we call that general revelation. But the idea of God communicating through divinely inspired scriptures, that is the Bible, well, that's a different kind of revelation, and we call that special revelation. And there's even a third way of revelation, and that is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, and that is personal revelation. Well, evidences that point to the fact that the Bible is from God is a study for another time. That is not what we're talking about tonight. I want you to think more on a conceptual level. And once again, where does language or languages come from language itself language itself is evidence of intelligence that's why the genetic code is an evid- is evidence for the fact that there is an intelligent designer that exists because of the information that is being transmitted through that code uh, in, in that molecular level. Language is evidence of intelligence. And ultimately, the one intelligence, the supreme intelligence who created all things is also the one who has created the means of communication. It is God, the intelligent designer, who has created all forms of communication. Non-living matter does not talk. Non-living matter does not talk. Non-living matter does not send purposeful messages. It does not transmit any codes to us. Non-living matter doesn't do that. And yet you can look outside, we can look outside ourselves, you look out into your, your yard and you see little, little creatures running around. And those little animals that you see even in your yard or in the woods, they communicate, don't they? And they communicate through sounds. Sounds and various signs, some of those signs are simply the movement of their bodies. Animals communicate. And they communicate for such purposes as attraction, trying to attract one another. Or they communicate for the purpose of warning about danger that is nearby. But it is communication 
Another definition you'll find in your dictionary is this one, and it is any means of expressing or communicating as gestures or animal sounds. Animals communicate, not in the same way that you and I do, but animals communicate. And communication involves intelligence, and that means of intelligence and communication has to originate from somewhere or someone. Because such ability or such instinct does not originate from non-intelligent substances. Non-intelligent substances do not create languages. It does not create codes. It does not create different ways of communication. Such ability or such instinct comes from intelligence. And so you think of the idea of instinctual language in animals. It cannot slowly develop over extremely long periods of time. You think about the purpose of animal communication. It it, it cannot just develop over long, extreme periods of time. Because an animal must be able to communicate and understand its distinctive sounds from the very beginning. It must know what's being communicated to it. By whether the sound or the gesture, whatever, it must know. It has to have come from somewhere or someone. So to our question, from where does languages originate? From where does communication originate? Human language. Clearly, human languages are evidence of man's intelligence. Now you can turn to the Bible story of Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, and it tells us about how God intervened and he scattered men abroad by means of multiplying languages. But that's not our our subject of, of conversation tonight, to talk about the trustworthiness of the account recorded in Genesis 11. But clearly we, do, we even do see, even if you don't believe that to be God's hand at work, we do know that languages unite and languages divide. We know that. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. Language unite and languages divide. And you see that in the Genesis 11 account. Language united and then languages divided them. But once again, our question is from where does man's intelligence and man's ability to communicate originate? Where does it come about that man is able to communicate in all these different languages? And man communicate in more than one language. Man's intelligent communication must have come from somewhere. And I suggest to you, and I, you know, I believe that you would agree as well, that it has come from the ultimate intelligent designer, God, who is able to communicate. See, our God, our creator, is able to communicate. And that's why animals communicate in the way they communicate. And that's why mankind communicates in the way he communicates. Because God creating various ways or various means of communication, even within the molecular cell level, 
You think about that. Even in that, that code has to have come from intelligence. And it came from the ultimate supreme intelligent one. And so here is God creating all these different ways of communication. And what does that imply about God? What does it imply about a creator who has created languages? What it implies that not only that God can communicate, but God desires to communicate. Thought about that. God created communication and, and gave man the ability to intellectually communicate because God desires communication in his creation. If we carry that a little further, that in turn, if you think about it, that in turn implies not only the ability of God and the desire of our creator, but it also implies that the creator wants men to talk to him. That God desires to have a relationship with those who are created in his image. And so he empowered him, he gave him the intelligence, he gave him the ability, not only that he could communicate among themselves, but so in turn they could communicate in such a way to him. God is the creator of communication. Because he is an intelligent designer. And that God, our God, is a God who has communicated and does communicate to man. Why? Because God loves. That's why. Men everywhere have some kind of moral code. That is, men everywhere across this globe have some kind of sense of fairness, a sense of justice which resides within. Now, everyone does not agree exactly on what is the measure of their moral standard, their moral code. Everyone doesn't, doesn't agree on exactly on the details of all of that. But throughout humanity, throughout time, mankind has always had a sense of fairness and justice, a moral code that resides within them. It is an innate sense of, of right and wrong, and that does exist, and that could be one of the, and it is one of the arguments about the existence of God, the idea of the, the moral argument in, in culture and in society that suggests and implies and points to the fact there is a God who created. The reason why is because moral order, if you think about it, moral order does not spontaneously appear out of non-moral matter. Matter is not moral and neither immoral. It's just matter. And so where does morality, or even that, the opposite, immorality, where, where does that you know, come from? Why, do, why are we even talking that kind of terminology? Why, why are there such things as courts and judges in every country, whether it is one that is executing true fairness and justice or one that is not, but yet there is this idea of a moral code that exists? You know, people who do not even have a written law of some kind. Whether you're talking about, you know, a constitution, or you're talking about, you know, the, the decrees of a, of a monarch, 
You know, you know, even in a place where there's no written law, any kind of recorded, codified system that governs that culture, that governs that society, even in that situation, men still live by a code of conscience. A conscience which guides them, you know, about what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. Now, their conscience may not agree with your conscience, but they have a conscience that guides them. And in Romans chapter 2, that, that concept, that idea of even when, there, when there's people that don't have the law of Moses, and yet they still live by a code of conscience in their culture and in their daily life. In Romans 2, 14, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. So don't ask, oh, you got the Gentile world. They're doing some of the, the good things that the law says you need to be doing. And they're abstaining from some of the bad things that the law most said you should abstain from. And he says, when that happens, when it's instinctively being done, these not having the law are a law to themselves. And that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So God, even in the scriptures, pointed to the fact that, you know, there is this idea of moral codes that exist. People live by certain codes in their cultures. And so morality is evidence, one evidence, that God exists because it must emanate. Where does that morality come from? Where does that sense of conscience come from? It doesn't come spontaneously from non-living, non-intelligent, you know, non-moral matter. That's not where it comes from. And so it must come from God, the one true living God who is moral. God is moral. And that's where morality originates. Love, love, if you think about it, is a moral virtue. Love is a moral virtue that is both desired and experienced by humanity. Now, genuine love, when properly defined and when properly cultivated, genuine love is not the practice of gratifying physical desires with selfish pleasures. That is not love. That's not what love really is. True love, genuine love. And our sensual culture, the culture in which we live in, which is very sensual, very lascivious and licentious, our culture has corrupted and has perverted what love really is. Love is a moral virtue. And it is a moral excellence that is manifested how? It is manifested by right and good contact, even to the point of being sacrificial. You think about the definition given us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As Paul, in writing to Christians and, remind, and trying to remind them what love is and how love should be manifested, even in the relationships with one another, and therefore, this is how it should be seen. This is how it should be manifested. And so he says, love is patient. 
Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. See, this is not a definition by the world. This is a definition by the intelligent one who is the originator of languages and an originator of morality because he is a God of love. That's why. Love is patient, kind, not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The virtue of love. Think about it. This virtue of love exists. It does. You don't see it all the time. But it exists. It exists even in the world today. And and this kind of virtue that it, it must be manifested from one person to another. The virtue of love is always manifested. It's always seen. It is shown. That's the nature of it. The nature of love is you're going to have a giver and you're going to have a recipient of it. And so it exists in our world today and is manifested how? It's manifested between people. We see it. It is, it is a desired virtue, and it is a virtue that is also experienced by mankind. But once again, where did that virtue originate? Because ultimately, love is the ultimate moral virtue. Our creator, the intelligent designer, who is moral, is the source of all Objective moral virtues. That is, God the creator, God the intelligent one, possesses all such virtues himself. So you think about that definition in 1 Corinthians 13. It is another way to describe the character of God. God is patient. God is kind. God does not brag or is not arrogant. God does not act unbecomingly. You think about all the descriptions there. And you think about our God, our creator, the intelligent one, the intelligent designer of all things, how he's patient, he's kind, he's unselfish, he's righteous, he's truthful, he's all of that. Why is that manifested by our God? It's because God possesses the absolute aspect of love. A moral, cre- a moral creator... Get this to move here. A moral creator must love. Why is that? Because a moral creator must truly seek the well-being of his creatures. God is love, and God communicates. God communicates because God's love. In Matthew 6, 26, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus used an example of this very concept. The idea of the care, the concern, the love that the Creator has for all His creatures. And He uses the example to teach us to have greater trust in Him. 
And so verse 26, Jesus tells his audience, and he wasn't inside an auditorium. You know, he, was, he would have been outside on a hillside. And he says, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Very simple point. He says, look at all the animals. God cares for them. God takes care of them. Why is that? Because he's a moral God. That's where morality originates. And he's a moral God because he is a God of love. And a God of love seeks the well-being of his creatures... And the point is, if God is taking care of birds, how much more is he going to take care of you? And he does. Love communicates. Love communicates, and that's why God communicates. The very nature of love is such that it will and it must communicate in some form between persons. You say you love your spouse. And that love must communicate that some way. If you truly love your spouse, you're going to show it one way or another. The very nature of love, it is going to show itself. The very nature of that virtue is it's going to manifest itself in some way. It always communicates. And you think about that, and the language of love is not just limited by words. It's also communicated by service or, and by gifts. And so it's not limited in just one, one aspect of communication. It, it can be seen in all, these, in all these different ways where we show love, not only to our family, but to our spiritual brethren and even to our neighbors. We show it's going to manifest that if we love them, if we truly love them like God wants us to love them, then we will act accordingly. We'll act according to that virtue of love. We will communicate love because that's what love does. Love communicates. And for one re- that's one reason why you see here in 1 John 3.18, in the instruction of that epistle, it talks about let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Our love must not just be empty words. It must be real. It must be true. It must be manifested in our actions. Not just the emptiness of words. And that's what God has done. God loves mankind. God loves mankind. How to know? Because he's communicated that. He, he created languages, and languages are used not only to transmit information and instruction and genetic codes, but, but communication language is used to communicate love. Humanity is designed by God. Humanity is by God's design. It is by God's making. And creation itself... Creation itself is a labor of love. 
The creation itself is a labor of love. And even within that creation that has been brought into existence and has been here since the beginning of time, in it is everything to sustain and provide for man's physical and emotional well-being. God loves mankind. How do I know that? He's a God who communicates. He's a God who created communication so love could be communicated. God created man to communicate. Why? So that we could love one another with words and with actions and with gifts. And sincere love, when it exists, will always show itself. That kind of love does not spontaneously appear from non-living, non-thinking, non-loving matter. That kind of love that communicates comes from a creator who set that in the heart of men. From a creator who has planted that Virtue of love, so it will grow in relationships on earth. God who loves must communicate. He must. Because love communicates. Love shows it. Love speaks it. Love manifests itself. And we have a God that has done that. He's communicated to humanity through words. He's done so through service. And he's done so through gifts. And it's through this we begin to see that we can look not only to the creatures that God has created. But we can look to the fact that we speak and we talk and we communicate ideas and concepts. But ultimately so that we could share love. Because love communicates with those that you love. And our God has done that, ultimately, to the greatest gift one could ever give. And that's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is a story to tell us that God is, but not only that God is, but also that God is, is a God who truly cares and loves those who have been made in his image and desires to have a relationship with them, not just now by faith, but he desires to have a relationship with them eternally one day. God created man so he could walk with him eternally. But sin entered that scene of time and man cut himself off from his God, from his creator, and ultimately from his father. He cut himself off from that. And ever since that time, God has been communicating through words, through acts, and through gifts trying to call us back to himself. Because we have a God that communicates. Why does he communicate? Because he cares. Why does he care? Because he loves. That's why. 
We do not have a creator that does not care about what he made. We have a creator that is intimately concerned about his creation and particularly concerned about those when he breathed life into them, made them into his very own image. Those sons and daughters. He particularly wants to come home. Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? If you do, but you have not rendered obedience to the gospel call, we want to encourage you to think about making that decision tonight. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, why not confess him tonight that he is God's Son and he's the Lord and the Christ? And with that confession, repent of the sins that you've committed in your life, turn from that past, and be buried with Christ in baptism. And God will keep his promise. He always does. And every sin will be washed away by God's grace and mercy. Because you believed him. And you believed his love for you. Whatever your spiritual need may be tonight, we encourage you. Please come now and we stand and sing the song. Let's be